seconds. Give him your best. He is worthy today. He is worthy today. He is receiving your praise today. you know it makes them happy. Hallelujah! In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Give them a hand clap of praise once again. Welcome everybody to Metro Praise International Church. I am Jared, one of the pastoral elders here. And today, we're going to be talking about new wine and new wine skins. That's the title. And you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Everyone turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 33. So normally, we'd kind of give an introduction and, and, and talk about all these concepts that we're going to be exploring but I think it's best to let the word introduce itself. Amen? And so we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Can I hear an amen when you're there? Amen. amen. Got a couple of you. If not, it's on the screen. But I encourage everyone to have your Bibles. Take good notes today. Luke 5, verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Someone say, new wine needs new wine skins. I'm going to break down this metaphor that Jesus presents us with. Uh, Jesus is being questioned for the fact that his disciples are feasting while the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist are fasting. So there are some people here fasting. They are depriving themselves of food for periods of time. In the, uh, in the Old Testament days, Jews were known to fast twice a week. John and his disciples probably followed the same custom as part of their austere and disciplined lifestyle, right? And so they see Jesus and his disciples are feasting. And just to give you a bit more context, if you look at the verses right above this, it's about Jesus at the house of Levi, also known as Matthew. Levi was a tax collector. And, you know, if you know anything about a tax collector, just that being of that profession alone gave you a bad reputation because in the Jews' mind, you worked for the oppressor. You worked for Rome. And on top of that, many tax collectors were known to extort extra money on top of what they were supposed to collect, put it in their pockets. So being a tax collector alone made him a bad character. It would be like somebody who makes their money dealing drugs, uh, 
you, you just automatically, right off the top, wouldn't matter what else you did, if that's how you earned your bread, you were not considered one of the good guys, right? And so, in, in the, but, but nevertheless, when Jesus calls Levi, he leaves his life of sin, he leaves his profession of tax collecting, and he goes on to be a disciple. And the first thing he does is he throws a party at his house for Jesus. Everyone say, it's a good day with Jesus. All right, they're not at a funeral. This is a good day. This is something to be celebrated. This man has crossed over from death into life. Amen. This man has left his profession. Could you imagine drug dealers and gangbangers in this church giving their life to Jesus, leave, flushing the drugs, leaving the money behind, coming clean from that old life? Could you imagine prostitutes? Could you imagine all these bad characters, all these homosexuals and people like that filling a church like this and giving their hearts to Jesus at this altar? We might be crying, but it would be tears of joy. It would be a day to celebrate, not to fast, but to feast. And so as they're eating at Levi's house, that's the question. Why are you guys eating? It's Tuesday. We fast on Tuesday. Why are you eating while we're not eating? And that's where Jesus explains it by giving them the analogy of a bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. When the bridegroom shows up at the wedding, it's time to partay. It's time to get down. The wedding ceremony is not merely the exchanging of vows and nuptials. In the Bible, it has a lot to do with the feasting and the celebration and the rituals that mark one of the, the greatest occasions in a person's life. And so that's why weddings have receptions. They have meals. They have dancing. That's part and parcel of it. It's not just the vows. And so Jesus says, look, the, the, the bridegroom is here. Now the bridal party can throw down. The Jesus is here. He's, he's in their midst. He's doing miracles. I won't get ahead of myself too much, but, but that's, that's the point he's trying to make. And, he's, and he says, there's going to be a time when the bridegroom's taken away. They're going to they're put him on trial. They're going to crucify him. He'll be taken away at that time. That will be a day of mourning, but today is not that day. That will be a day of fasting, but today is not that day. That will be a day of contrition and searching of the heart, but today is not that day. Today is a day of feasting and celebration, but the religious Jews of that day did not recognize it. He violated their traditions. They had always done things a certain way, and it just blew their mind to see people do things differently than what they had known. And how many know change can be hard? How many know that, that, that sometimes you, you can be just the most stubborn person? How many would you say you're stubborn when it comes to change? You don't catch on to new trends. You don't catch on to, to technology and things like that. But I'm not just talking about changes in the world. I'm talking about changes in the, the seasons of heaven and what God is doing. Not just reacting and trying to adapt to earthly trends and changes in this world, because this world is always changing, and it's not always changing for the better. Some people in this, today call themselves progressives. They're progressing right off a cliff. They, and, and so you, you don't just want to change with the world because the world is changing, therefore I must change. You don't want to react to the world, but you want to respond to what God is doing in a given season. And that's why he tells them now this parable. 
And, I, and that's why I chose Luke, by the way, because he identifies this as a parable. This uh, pericope appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are the synoptic gospels where you'll see many of the same accounts told through different, um, different lenses. Sometimes there's a different focus. Only in Luke's gospel does he speak about this as a parable. And so in a parable is a story that illustrates a point. It often contains metaphors, word pictures that are not literal. Like, for example, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a farmer scattering seed, is he talking about farming and gardening? No, but he says it's like farming and gardening. It's making a point. Now, he is making a point about wine and wine skins. And so I'm going to break down to you what the wine represents. The wine represents a season and time where we must discern God's heart and God's plan for his people. That is the wine, okay? There could be the old wine, which would be what God was doing in the days of John the Baptist, right? Where he was preparing the way for Jesus, where he was preaching repentance, and, and then there's the new wine when Jesus is here. God was doing that then. That was the wine, the old wine. And God is doing this now. This is the new wine. Does that make sense? And then the wineskin is our appropriate response to God in a given season. So to put it like this, the wine is what God is doing. And the wineskin is what we should be doing in response to God. How we should adapt our, our way of thinking, how we should adapt our strategies, even our entire way of life to respond appropriately to what God is doing. See, a change had come. And so in this context, the old wine was, was John's ministry. He lived a very ascetic lifestyle. He wore a, a camel uh, hair uh, garment. He ate locusts and wild honey. He lived in the wilderness. He fasted, he was disciplined, and he was preaching repentance. He was trying to prepare people to meet Jesus. And so that was, that was the season then. He was trying to get people humble so that they could see their sin and see their need for God. And in point of fact, really that old wine precedes John the Baptist because before John the Baptist, God didn't even talk for 400 years. The last utterance from, from the Lord came through the prophet Malachi 400 years prior. So for 400 years, there was no miracles. There was no prophecy, no revelation. God was not speaking. And so when God is not speaking, God's people should be concerned. When God is not moving, God's people should be concerned. They should see that something's wrong and they should cry out. They should be desperate. God, visit us. God, do what you did in the days of old. That should be the heart, but now God has visited. Now the Messiah has come. So, so the new wine is a season of divine visitation, miracles and mercy flowing from Messiah, right? So all these years, people should have been crying out, desperate, seeking God, seeking deliverance. Seeking the, the fulfillment of all these promises and prophecies concerning his Messiah. That was, that was then though. Now the Messiah is here. And here's a few verses that I love that really spell this out. If you could look at Matthew 11. Matthew 11, chapter 2. Uh, not, verse 2 rather. Chapter 11 and verse 2. 
when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After 400 years of zip, a zero, zilch, as far as divine intervention goes for his people, now the Messiah is here. He's doing work, wonders left and right. And anybody with any spiritual sense should be able to note the change in season. They should be able to note that there is a new wine that is flowing from heaven. And a new wineskin is needed. So the new wineskin is a season of divine visitation, miracles and mercy, the fulfillment of prophecies. Israel's deliverance has come. Just looking at another passage uh, quickly. I know you didn't have this one queued up, Andrew, but I was thinking about this one in the office in Luke 2.29. When baby Jesus is presented at the temple, there's an elderly man named Simeon, a godly man, waited his whole life for God to, to bring his word to pass. And he was living that fasted lifestyle as well. But when he sees baby Jesus, he knows that that's the Messiah. That is the one that God has chosen. In Luke 2.29, he, he picks him up in his arms and he prays God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have promised in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The, the promise is being fulfilled in front of his very eyes. He can see it. He can touch it. He knows that God is doing something. He knows that God is not forgotten and that God is on the move in profound ways. And so that's the new season. That's the new wine. So what is the new wine skin when Jesus is there in their midst doing these miracles? Feasting, rejoicing. This ain't a funeral, people. When Jesus sees a funeral, he undoes it. He raises the dead. And you literally see that. There's, in, in Luke 7, there's a funeral possession. And there's a woman's only son who died. And he speaks to the boy, and the boy gets up. So he turns that funeral into a party too. Feasting, rejoicing with the Messiah because the inauguration of God's kingdom is here. It's a good day. It's a day to celebrate. And so I want to take the principle here of the wine and the wineskin uh, to apply to us. There are many unique things about the ministry of Jesus where it's, it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one parallel to us today. Um, especially in the year that we're in. I, I have some some ideas here from God's word about what I believe is, is the wine of 2020 and what our wineskins should be. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want to make some points of application. See, we have to know what God is doing in a given season in order to respond to him adequately. God is always up to something. There was 400 years God was silent. That was the old wine. The old wineskin was to fast.
It was to seek God desperately. It was to pray. It was to read the Old Testament scriptures and say, God, come do in our day what you did back then. That was appropriate for that time. But then when Jesus came, it was a new wine. And so we, have too, have to be willing to understand and perceive what God is doing in our day. What is the new wine? What God is doing today is not the same thing he was doing even last year, let alone 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Do you understand? You have to change with the times. You can't just be caught up in your tradition and your way of doing things. Again, we understand this kind of on the micro level just in our own lives. You have to change. You have to adapt to trends and technology. You have to sometimes reinvent yourself career-wise. Like you may have learned like some old uh, computer tech. You got a computer degree back in the 90s, and now you're finding nobody uses that stuff anymore. Then you have to reinvent yourself, right? So you have to change and adapt. Um, and it's the same way in the world, and it's the same way in the kingdom of God. You have to change. You have to adapt. The church has to change. The church has to adapt her methods, her way of thinking. And so here are some, here are some principles here Number under application. Number one, know that God is in control, okay? Know that God is in control. This means understanding that history and world events unfold according to God's sovereign plan. This is foundational, big-picture stuff. And, and, and here's why you must have a proper Christian view of history, a Christian worldview as it pertains to history and events in the world. Because you will see that there are other views of history. For example, you go to the Black Lives Matter website and you, you read about their story and, and, how, and, and, and how they were founded and all the developments that brought them to today. And you'll notice... It's not history, it's her story. That even hurts to say. Her story. Because, of course, they, want to, they, they don't want it to be his story to be the patriarchy, the male-dominated culture, right? They want to flip the script. Oh, now it's her story. But I want to take it back because it's his story story. It's God's story. Now, there's more to it than just a, a goofy play on words, by the way, because these trained Marxists, and you have to understand that the teachings of Karl Marx have a lot to do with what's going on in our nation right now. A lot of the unrest is the fruit of his teaching infecting the minds of people. But the view of history that Marx taught is that it's a constant struggle forward. That's why I mentioned people seeing themselves as progressive, because as time marches on, we're always progressing. So newer is always better, right? And older is always worse. And so that's why they're so woke. Abraham Lincoln wasn't even woke enough for him. They got to tear down his statue. Like everything else, everything of history is just so reproachful because it doesn't match what's right here, right now. And that has everything to do with their, view of with their view of history. It's a struggle forward. Newer is better. And that's why they feel they can erase history and it be of no consequence. And history, for better or for worse, there's a lot of good things in history. There's bad things in history. But you need to learn from it. You need to learn from it. You need to take it for what it is. They don't do that. Now, for us as Christians, history is his story. It's God's story. 
From beginning to end, God rules the world. God is working out a plan in history. And I want to go somewhere where many Christians don't even go. Because many Christians think that just world events happen and God is just responding to what people do. As if he didn't even know what was going to happen. Now, a lot of people won't say that, but when you, when you really probe them on their theology, that's what they believe. That God don't really know what's going on. He's reacting just like you and I do. For the most part, we'll just be willing to say, God foreknows. God knows what's going to happen. God knows what people are going to do. And, and that's one thing. But I'm going to take it a step further. God determines. God has a plan Okay, God has a plan that he is working out in history. God is not just a bystander, a passive bystander in what's going on in the world. God is moving things. God is going to make things happen. You know how I know this? Romans 13 says that every authority is instituted by God. And so you look at China. Does China have good authorities? No, evil. But, but God wasn't caught off guard by that. God's not just trying to work them around, work his plan around that. They're part of the plan. They're part of the plan. Like it or not, they're part of the plan. And I'm going to show you some scriptures that blow your mind. Jesus is Lord of history. Let's look at, um, we have a lot here. I'm going to reference a few. Genesis 8.22, that's a really good verse. It talks about seasons. God instituting seasons, just like within a year, you have the four seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, uh, 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 spring, seed time, and harvest, things like that. That's, that's God's idea. That's God's pattern. That's God's design. He made the earth to, to work like that. He made our lives to work like that. And you even see that cultures and civilizations are like that, that over, over history, you're going to see nations rise, nations fall. Great empires rise, great empires fall. Great leaders rise, great leaders fall. Just like that. And it's, and it's all happening under God. They're just, it's just like a season. It's just like a flower. You know, you think about someone like Alexander the Great. Conquered the whole known world in his time in the B.C. days. He was a Greek, uh, he was a Greek conqueror. Conquered India. Conquered the whole, what, what would eventually be the Roman Empire. He died in his early 30s. He was like a, like a beautiful flower that it's beautiful for a little while, but, you know, especially the ones you, 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 you buy and you put in a vase at home. That's right. I call it a vase. <laughs> right? A week or two, they start wilting, right, and drooping, and, and they're dead. So they have their little moment, but then they're gone. And that's even the greatest people. That's the greatest nations in this world. They're, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Jesus is Lord of history. Look at Isaiah chapter 45, verses 7 through 9. Isaiah 45, verse 7. It says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. 
those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground? Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does, the, does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother who brought you birth. See, who brings prosperity? God. We like that. But he also brings calamity. He does it. And so when we see events unfold in the world around us, we have to, uh, I mean, we can't always do this with precision, but we have to understand that God is behind this. There, if, if there's prosperity, that's God. If there's calamity, that's God. God can bring judgment. God has brought judgment. God brings sword, famine, and plague. I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah. That's God. Nobody wanted to think that God would do such a thing to his people that he would hand them over to Babylon. But God did it. Let's look at another verse. Lamentations 3.37. Lamentations 3.37. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? It is not... Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? So we, again, we see this. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? It's not just God knowing things are going to happen. It's God making things happen. Amen? And so Jesus is Lord of history. One more example from Acts 4.27. Acts 4.27. And this is why I'm such an optimist. This is why I'm not like the rest of the world, freaking out, losing their minds. You're doomsday prepping, you know. You're preparing for the worst. I'm preparing for the best. Here's how I know. Because God's in control even on the worst days. Acts 4.27, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel within this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The cross was not a contingency plan. The cross was always the plan. And even when Herod, that wicked man, that, that wicked pagan ruler, and, and Pilate got together, and the Gentiles, and, and you had the Sanhedrin betray Jesus. Even when all these people got together and conspired, they thought they were in control. They thought they were making things happen. They thought they were going to destroy Jesus. They couldn't be more wrong. Who was in control? Pilate? No. Herod? No. The Sanhedrin? No. God was in control. God made that happen. God was doing that. That's, so that's why when I look at the craziness of 2020, all these people think that they're in control. You know, I don't want to get conspiratorial. It's hard not to be when we're in the eighth level of Jumanji. But there are doubtless people pulling the strings, right? Rich people, powerful people, 
people with agendas, people who see you and me as pawns in their game to get their vision across and make more money for themselves and their constituents, right? And, and they think they could just use and abuse people and manipulate and lie to people and stick, you know, and, and, and make people afraid and get people sick and all these things and divide folks. They think they're in charge. They're not in charge of anything. God rules this world. Jesus is the Lord of history and of world events. Jesus is in charge. They don't know, they don't know what time it is because they don't know whose time it is. Now that's foundational. Having a proper biblical worldview as it pertains to history and world events, God makes it happen. Number two, based on that, you must know what time it is. Jesus expects you to know what time it is. God's word contains insight to allow you to interpret the signs of the times and understand what he's doing in the present moment. Now here's where I'm going to start moving a little faster so we're not looking at each and every scripture. Uh, but we will look at Ephesians 5.15. But Jesus says that he's not going to give you a sign because you should, you should see the signs all around you. That's what he said to the Pharisees. They demand a sign from Jesus. Prove you're the Messiah. Pull a rabbit out of a hat. Do something. Impress us. Wow us. And Jesus like, do you have eyes in your head? Have you not seen what I've been doing? Do you have ears? Have you not heard what I have been doing? Are you kidding me? You know how to look at the sky and see if it's going to rain today, but you don't know how to look around you and see the signs of the times. And so God's word contains many patterns and, and prophecies um, that allow us to, to look at the world and interpret it through that biblical lens. And so I'm always very reticent to talk end time stuff uh, because Jesus said, we, you know, no one knows the day or the hour. I'm, I'll be hesitant to, to say um, uh, exactly what God is doing, um, but... The, the Bible does contain these patterns. You can look at it and you can compare it because God is, if nothing else, God is consistent. God judges the nations. God holds people accountable to his righteous standards. God has always operated in this way. And so we have to understand the times we live in. In Ephesians 5.15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I felt it was necessary to read everything. I could have stopped there, make the most of the, of, of the time, the days are evil, and, and know what God's will is. That says it all right there. But then he goes on and says, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't just get, get lazy and just, because what do, what, what do people do when they get drunk and party? You, you know those kind of people? Okay, they just live their life drunk and high and party. They're not sober, right? People who live like that have no concept of the big picture usually. 
They, they tend to be living from paycheck to paycheck, from pleasure to pleasure. And so they're not aware of what's going on. They have no sense of direction for their lives and no sense of what's going on in the world because they're often trying to escape what's going on in the world. He says, don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Know what God's will is. You can know what God's will is. You can know what God's will is for your life today. You can know what God's will is for MPI Church. You can know what God's heart is and what he wants for us in this time, in this season. I believe that. And so we are to know what time it is. Number three, be willing to change. Just like in Jesus' day, we must be willing to set aside old traditions and ways of thinking in order to cooperate with what God is doing in our lives, our churches, and in the world. And so we must be willing to throw off man-made traditions. Fasting twice a week, as the Pharisees and John did, that was a man-made tradition. And so that can go, that, that may have served a purpose once upon a time, but that can go by the wayside if God is doing something else where, fa where uh, fasting is not called for. There are many traditions that all Christians have that are okay, and they can serve a purpose at a, at a point in time. For example, there are many Christians today who still believe in wearing like long skirts and things like that. Because in that day, in the, in the day when these, these fundamentalist denominations were formed, they, they saw the debauchery, they saw women being loose, and so they wanted to set themselves apart as modest. And so now that, that's a tradition though. That's one way to practice modesty. That's not the only way to practice modesty. And then to have men wear suits and things like that, just to kind of set themselves apart from, you know, the street punks and, the, and you know, the rough people out there. That may have served a purpose at a point in time, but it's a tradition. Traditions can change. Traditions should change. And it's not so much, again, reacting to what the world is doing. The world is changing. The world is fickle. This is a faithless and perverse generation. We're not changing to react to the world. We're changing to respond to God. It's a new season. What is God doing in 2020? How is God reaching the lost? How are we to preach the gospel in 2020? That's something I've been considering. I'm teaching a class called Evangelism in the 21st Century. And it's different than the 20th century. There are differences there are adjustments, there are adaptations, and there's still people who are literally, because the 20th century is 20 years ago now, there's, there's, there's people who are still doing it the way they always did it. And they have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to change. And so as time goes on, there are things we should be willing to change, and then there are things we should never be willing to change. Number four, while many things in this world change, God does not we must not compromise God's word or his standards to appease this fickle and unfaithful generation. Let's look at Isaiah 40, verse 6. There are things we must never change. And I'm going to get more on that as, as we approach uh, the end of the message. But obviously, we can see Christians change with the world. You know, 10 years ago, there are, there are a lot of pastors, they're now woke. They're saying crazy things that are not from the Bible. But 10 years ago, they were solid. Five years ago, they were solid. Three months ago, they were solid. I don't know what happened. 
But, but even this year, you're seeing like a switch getting flipped and people are changing with the times. We've seen it with denominations that, that accept homosexual practice. They change with the culture. God's word didn't change. You have this Bible. It's 2,000 plus years old. It hasn't changed. You could always look, um, you know, you could open it up every day. And every day, Romans 1 will say the same thing about so homosexual practices. Every day you look at it, Leviticus will say the same thing. You could look at every Greek and Hebrew manuscript. You could, you could study all the languages. It's always going to say the same thing. The only way to make it approve of those wicked things is to turn it upside down. You understand? And that's what you have to do. But, but why? They have to change with the world. God's word does not change. In Isaiah 40 verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And so there are things we can change. It, like, for example, we have a 9 and 11 a.m. service. We didn't always have a 9 and 11 a.m. service. We used to have a 10 a.m. service, right? One service, and then there was two to accommodate all these people, right? Now, that was sort of a pragmatic thing, right? Sometimes you make changes for... for <laughs> that, that, that was pragmatic, right? It's practical. We want to make room for more people. We make that change, right? That's, that's, you could say that's a method. You could say that's a, that's a wineskin in essence, right? But there could, there could be a change where we'll need four services. There could be a change where we're going to do, we're going to need a new building. There could be, a, uh, there's been changes. The gospel truck is a new wineskin. God wants us to preach the gospel that way. Going to Planned Parenthood as we have in this season and doing it the way we've done it, that's a new wineskin. We used to preach over there, now we preach over here. The message didn't change. The, the content of our worship didn't change. We didn't stop taking communion or start, start doing it with orange juice or something like that. Hey, you know, man, change is good, man. you got to try new things. No, don't mess with that. Because we're not talking traditions, we're talking commands. We're not talking the things of man, we're talking the things of God. And the things of God do not change now, if I could ask Lawrence to come up and tickle the ivories, to play it soft and slow, to recap where we've gone up to this point. Number one, know that God is in control. Have the proper view that God rules over history and world events. The things going on in our world today are not catching God by surprise. They are all fulfilling God's plan. All of it. You better believe it. Number two, you better know what time it is. Know your word and what it says. It speaks to the human condition. It speaks to what goes on in societies. There's nothing new under the sun. And it gives you the ability to interpret the signs of the times. So we should Know what God's will is. No excuse. There's no excuse to be caught off guard. Number three, be willing to change traditions and methods and ways of life with the times and in response to what God is 
doing as opposed to what he was doing before. And number four, never be willing to change God's word or God's standards along with with this world. Now I have a few questions here as we prepare to close. We've been praying as a staff this whole year, seeking God, seeking his word, and connecting with great believers from all over the country. And we all bear witness in our spirits to the same things. And we find that these truths are found in God's word and we see where God has done it before and it looks like what God is doing now. What is God doing in 2020? Number one, God is shaking. God is shaking everything that can be shaken. Haggai chapter two, verse six speaks of him shaking this all creation. It's quoted again in the book of Hebrews. And it says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains is unshakable. And so you're seeing institutions that, that stood firm for so long. Like you're in, you, you never thought you'd see a, a year without Major League Baseball. You know, you never thought you'd see what you're seeing with professional sports and how that that can be gone like that. You could see a nation as great as the United States be gone. And, And look, this is why I don't talk end time prophecy, but it may or may not be the end of the world. But what's more likely is it could be the end of this nation or the end of this nation as we know it. And guys, it doesn't take much to to deduce to understand that if America changes and becomes a different kind of nation with a different worldview, with a different constitution, that will have a ripple effect in the whole world. The whole world will look very different on the other side of these events if, if certain people get their way, right? So things are being shaken. This nation is being shaken to its core, and the ripple effect will be profound and I believe devastating across the world. Number two, God is judging. And in the in First Peter chapter four verse seventeen, he says that judgment begins with the household of faith. It begins in the church. God is judging the world, but He's going to judge the church first. He's going to deal with us first. And as He judges, He divides. And you can see that in in point three, that these the two and three are very interrelated. God is judging, God is dividing. He does them both in unison. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, he lets the wheat grow up. These are the children of the kingdom. He lets the the tares, the weeds grow up along with the wheat, the children of the evil one. He lets them grow up together, side by side. But before he throws the weeds out, he divides them from the wheat before he burns them, before judgment comes, he divides. You are seeing the church divided. You are seeing the body of Christ divided. And some people, in the name of false unity and false humility, because they bring up, you know, John 17, Jesus says, may they be one as we are one. That much is true. But we should not divide over petty things. 
We should not divide over the things of man, but we should, if it's the things of God, we divide from Jehovah Witnesses. We divide from Mormons. We divide from heretics. We divide from those who, who turn the grace of God into a license for lawlessness. We divide from those who preach a different gospel. We divide over God's truth. We divide over the word. And so God is dividing, and you're seeing that. That's why I'm saying there's people, they were solid five, ten years ago. Now they're cuckoo. What happened? Some people will say they never were right. And the testing, the, the, the tribulation has proved it. One way or another, God is dividing, and he's showing the real from the fake. And then God is purifying. Look at Malachi. Or if you're Italian, Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is in reference to Jesus' first coming. Jesus coming to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And offerings, the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. See, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, those who defraud laborers of, those wage, of their wages, those who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. People are waiting for, for God to come. And I know I've been saying Jesus' first coming was, was of joy and blessedness. But things went sour. They did not recognize the hour of their visitation. And they crucified their Messiah. And guess what happened 40 years later? 40 years later, that city was destroyed. The judgment came as he had promised. Because people were divided over Jesus. People's hearts were exposed by how they reacted to Jesus. And judgment came upon them as a result. Lastly, God is saving. Amen. God is saving. Every day is a good day with Jesus. Every season is a good season with Jesus. Because you can see what God is doing. And you can see God's plans working out. So you're never without hope. You're never fearful. And you can actually join and participate in the wonderful works of God. Even in the midst of chaos. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's quoting the prophet Joel. And he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is in the midst of signs in the heavens and wonders on the earth below. This is in the midst of God pouring out his spirit. So there's a mixture of wrath and revival, it would appear. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God will be saving many people in the last days. God is bringing many people to himself as we are now seeing. God is raising up a remnant. Let us all stand.
what do we have uh, in terms of altar workers today? No, none. So we're going to just take time where we're at. And if you want to approach this altar, you may, in a sense of you approaching God, in the sense of you responding to God. Come on up. Don't be shy. We looked at what God is doing in 2020. So what must we do in 2020? Here's the open secret. It's what we should have been doing all along. Preach, pray, and plug away. That's what the old timers used to say. Now I could substitute it for the theologically correct word, persevere, preach, pray, persevere. But what we should be doing today, this year, is what we should have been doing last year and every year before that. It's the open secret. And this is where Christians change and the change isn't good. They change from these things. Instead of preaching the gospel, they preach the social gospel. And you literally see uh, denominations infected by that where they stop preaching about Jesus and the cross and making that essential. And they preach about you know, Jesus making your life better here and now. There may be some truth to that, but people need to get saved. Their greatest problem is their sin problem. And no one wants to address it. They want to address systems. They want to address all these things. They got away from preaching. They got away from praying. And they're not persevering. So we must preach and pray and plug away. In closing, let's look at that passage in Luke 18. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I heard that closing your eyes makes your hearing more uh, attuned. Hearing, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Listen to this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly... However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Come on. If Jesus came today, what's he going to find you doing? You have to be ready. Doing the Lord's work, not being lazy, not allowing discouragement to, to take you out of the fight not allowing distraction, the deceptiveness of wealth, the things of this world to take you out of the fight, to, to keep you from preaching. 
There are some Christians who lost their zest to preach and they rationalize it. Like, oh, that's when I was young and on fire. So what are you now, old and cold? Some Christians, they, they lost it. They left their first love. They stopped praying. We need to pray more than ever. We need to cry out to God more than ever. We need to do spiritual warfare now more than ever. Will we find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes, will he find you preaching the Bible, the word of God? Will he find you on your knees or will he find praying or will he find you drunk? Will he find you in someone's bed you're not supposed to be? Will he find you binge watching Netflix? Will he find you wasting your life, wasting your time on things that don't matter? Will he find you faithful to his righteous ways or will he find you compromised and conformed to the pattern of this world? Jesus, help us. Come on, raise your hands to the Lord. This has got to be personal. God, help us. You can get the rest of the band up here. Jesus. Jesus. You know that song, Lawrence or Desi? Show me your heart. Show me your ways. Show me your glory. Show me your heart. Show me your ways. Show me your glory. As the band gets ready to sing that, make that your prayer. God, show me what you're doing. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Because he said that he only does that which he sees you do. And I don't want to be so esoteric and to the point where it's impractical. We know what to do. Live holy. Preach the gospel. Pray without ceasing. Persevere. Don't grow weary in doing well. But Lord, there's new wineskins. There's people you want us to reach. There's a world you want us to reach. There's a world you want us to change. 
There's a kingdom that is coming. Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this generation. Show us your heart. Let us not see anything the way we've seen it from from the perspective of the flesh any longer. If you want to linger a few more moments and keep worshiping the Lord, you may. If you need to go, you are dismissed and we hope you have a wonderful day. We could go ahead and be dismissed at this point. Everyone who wants to worship a little longer, you may.